The Old Testament reading for this, the fourth Sunday in Advent, comes from the prophet Micah, the fifth chapter. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The epistle reading comes from the letter to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is the word of the Lord. We rise for the reading of the gospel. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Luke, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, 
to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless, and the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so valued. That's the truth, isn't it? What the world praises as good and fun and right. What the world lifts up and says, this, this is what matters. This is what you should be going after. Christianity says, no, it very much isn't. The world praises sin. The world says, if it feels good, do it. The world says, just you define your own existence. You tell the world what they have to think of you. You don't answer to anyone. And God says, Look where that gets you. God points out that that leads only to death and despair. The world promotes idolatry and says, choose your own God, find one that fits your style, make yourself a God, because again, you don't answer to anyone. And God says, no. Look at the lawlessness that that brings. Look at the chaos and destruction that that has wrought upon this world. The world says, glorify yourself. Look out for number one. Make sure all the neighbors know just how splendid and grand you are. Make a name for yourself. Establish a legacy that will last even after you're gone. And once again, God's word says, no, that's not how it works. You don't build yourself up. Earthly glory means nothing. And then what the world looks down on as worthless and pointless, this is what God says is good and right and holy. The world completely looks down on Christian faith and virtue and says that's just a system for the weak-minded and the feeble to try to get through this life. Those who can't understand how the world really works invent this God fella to explain away everything. And the virtues that they live by, the rules, are just this old wet blanket, an outdated morality that just doesn't apply to this world anymore. And Once again, we see how wrong that is. Morals and restraint are frowned upon by this world, and yet lifted up by God who says, Do not live for yourself, live by my word clinging to the absolute truth of God's word, daring to profess that the Bible doesn't just contain or give us a hint of God's will, but is the inspired, infallible word of God that's laughed at. It's mocked. It's ridiculed. It says, how could some old book have any relevance at all in today's society? What the world says is terrible and wrong God proclaims is good. And what the world lifts up as right and just and fun, God points out, leads to death. The common and the lowly things are lifted up by God. God comes to this world and he turns everything upside down. Everything that we think we know, everything that we think is good and right, God points out 
is not. And Mary's song, the Magnificat, does such a great example of showing that. It praises God for turning everything upside down, for bringing down the proud and the mighty and lifting up the common and the lowly. Mary sings praise to God because he turns everything upside down, goes completely against human expectation. Everybody had ideas of how the Messiah was going to come. Everybody had ideas that said God is clearly going to do this and God loves the rich because he's given them earthly trinkets and toys and he must hate the poor because they have such a hard time in their life. But Mary, looking to God's word rather than our own sinful inclinations, points out the truth. She says when God comes... When God enters into this world as he promised he would, the mighty are brought down from their thrones and the humble instead are exalted. Those who seem to rule with unbridled power, they are shown to be nothing. Their kingdoms will crumble. Their empires will come to an end and be forgotten by history. Their lives themselves will come to an end. You know, there is one thing that every single earthly ruler has in common. There's one thing that every powerful, glorious, self-proclaimed God on earth has in common. They died. And they are not with us anymore. And even those today who are in positions of power and say, my rule will never end, it's going to. They will end. Because that's what happens to earthly glory. It fades away. Earthly power doesn't last. It may seem like it will be there forever, but empires that people looked at and said, this is the empire that will last until the end of time, it's gone, forgotten about, ruled over by another. But those who have been despised, those who have been looked down upon, those who put their trust in the Lord, instead of themselves or earthly power or kingdoms or leaders or anything else, they are given the one lasting kingdom. They are given the kingdom of heaven itself. And while we in this world, we may not think that we're winning, we may not feel like kings, we have everything. We have power. We have eternal life, not to lord over others and to make them do our will, but to share with the world so that they too can be lifted up, so that even the haughtiest of rulers can be exalted to real glory, lifted up to be a child of God. The hungry are filled with good things while the rich are sent away. You know, in this world, we may not have a whole lot, but once again, the kingdom of heaven itself is ours. We will feast at God's victory table forever. We will reside in his perfect paradise with him. But those who trusted in their riches, those who filled their lives with a love of money instead of a love of God, they will be sent away empty, left with nothing but pain and sorrow. All the riches that they accumulated during their life, all the things that they thought would bring them real power and joy and happiness, they come to nothing as their life ends and all those riches are passed on 
to someone else. Or they're eaten up by rust or moth or taxes or whatever else can take that wealth away. Mary sings that the rich are brought low. They're sent away hungry. But this isn't just about snotty rich brats finally getting their comeuppance. This isn't God exacting his revenge on those who had it good, and now he's finally leveling the playing field so that those commoners can get a bigger piece of the pie. No, this isn't just about earthly goods, earthly power, earthly anything. This is God coming and turning everything on its head. And Mary brings that out so clearly. She ends her glorious song talking about God remembering his promises of mercy even when Israel did not. And when we talk about God remembering, it's not like he's up in heaven going, did I promise them? Oh man, I totally said I was going to send a savior. I should really get on that. That's not it at all. For God to remember is to hold it dear even when we don't. For God to remember his promises is to make good on them, to continue to keep them even when we fail terribly. The fact is, even as God's children, as Christians, we have no reason to gloat. We are sinners, and we deserve to be brought just as low. We deserve to be sent away just as empty and hungry as the rich and the powerful do. We, too, have abandoned and neglected God's holy word. We have despised his promises and exchanged them for the ways of the world, looked to the trinkets and the baubles and said, Ooh, now here's real power. God, we don't need what you're pretending to give us. We have failed to keep our promises of faithfulness and devotion to our Heavenly Father. We have not remembered his promises. And yet... He remembers his promises to us. He keeps every single one of them, even though he wasn't obligated to. The promise was we would obey him, he would give us life. We didn't keep our end. He had no obligation to keep his. And yet, he remembered it. He kept it. He upheld it when we failed so terribly. Through generations of sinners, of doubters, of idolaters and unbelievers, God remembered and held fast to his promise to deliver a Savior, one who would free his broken creation from their sin. And when the time was right, he fulfilled that promise perfectly. Not in the way that the whole world expected, not in sending a grand, glorious king down in a clap of thunder for the whole world to see, but again, in humility and meekness. God continued to turn everything upside down as he brought the Messiah into the world. He did it through Mary. And as Mary says in her song, she's humble, she's nobody, and yet all generations will call her blessed. And where was the Messiah born? In tiny little Bethlehem. Too small to be among the recognized clans of Judah. 
And yet it becomes the most important city in the world as that's where God comes to his people in the flesh, where the Messiah is born to walk among his creation. And while the world was expecting the Messiah to come in pomp and glory, the wise men come to Jerusalem because, of course, that's where the king is going to be. Instead, he comes to be born as a tiny baby, not laid in silk cloths and surrounded by nobility, but laid in a manger, surrounded by animals, worshipped by shepherds. And this baby, he didn't come to crush his enemies, but to allow himself to be crushed by them. The fact is, it doesn't get much more common or lowly than a cross. The cross was nothing special. The cross was the common tool of execution and torture used by the Roman Empire at that time. Thousands upon thousands were crucified. Pathways from city to city were lined with crucified people who dared cross the Roman Empire. The cross was simply a mark of shame and agony that many, many, many common thieves died upon. It was a simple two-piece wooden post that brought about excruciating pain. And yet, through that cross, through that common, hideous cross that the world looks down upon with such contempt, Jesus won the eternal victory over sin, death, and the devil. And he didn't win it for himself, but he won it for you and for me. For sinners who had done nothing to deserve it. For sinners who had nothing to give him in return. For sinners who had rebelled against him time and time and time again. He won the eternal victory. And because he did. Because he allowed himself to be crucified. Because he laid down his life in sacrifice for you. Because he rose again from the grave to break the chains of death forever. Because Jesus did all of this. God's topsy-turvy, upside-down blessings continue to raise up the common and lowly things and to give us what we don't deserve. The seemingly plain, ordinary, very boring to the world word and sacraments deliver to those who believe forgiveness, life, and salvation. They bring God to a world that doesn't want Him, that doesn't deserve Him, and yet He comes. Week after week, we gather together here, and the world mocks us. The world says, you're just doing the same boring thing over and over again. You're just sitting together to make yourselves feel good. Nobody's listening to you. Nobody cares. But what we are doing is coming into God's holy and almighty presence. Coming where he says, I will meet you there, and you will receive my gifts. Here, we don't just gather together to feel good about ourselves, to meet as a social club and to catch up on how our week is going with our friends and family. Here, we are receiving God's word of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Here, as the church, we are joined to him in the waters of baptism, which cleanse us and wash us daily, take away our guilt our whole life through Here at this altar, we are given his true body and blood, 
The same flesh that was nailed to the cross, the same blood that flowed from his veins, we sinners are given to eat and to drink by our mouths, to receive the forgiveness of sins that he won for us upon the cross. We take part in his sacrifice and are given what the world cannot comprehend, what the world finds disgusting and wrong and impossible and foolish. We are given life itself, eternal life. This, the church, this isn't just some boring old routine that we're stuck in. This is where God comes to us and gives us himself. Gives us his promises. Strengthens us by his spirit. Gives us everything. Even if we can't see it. Even if the world doesn't see it at all. Here we receive everything. We lowly, worthless sinners are given the gift of heaven. Because just as Jesus rose from the grave on Easter morning, all who look to him in faith will rise again and as well. And when we rise it will be to eternal life in heaven. No more being poor or hungry or despised or worthless. No more pain or suffering or sorrow or temptation. No more sin, no more death. Only the unending joy of being in God's presence, reunited with all believers, never to be parted again. That's what the baby in the manger in Bethlehem came to deliver to us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And the world despises it. But God has remembered his promises. Even when we haven't. And he has given us himself. Born into our flesh. To take away our guilt. Forever. Mary's beautiful song. The Magnificat. That's our song as well. Because we too rejoice that God has done things so very different from the way that this world expected and wanted. What the world holds in such high esteem, God brings to nothing. And what the world despises, God raises up to the highest place possible. Because God's ways are very different from what man expects. At the birth of the Messiah in the way that Jesus won the victory, and still today through his church, God takes the common and lowly things of this world and raises them up for our eternal benefit. By the unknown Virgin Mary, Jesus came to us in the flesh. In the forgotten about town of Bethlehem, in a common stable, the Messiah was born. And still today, by the seemingly simple, common, lowly word and sacraments of his church, God proclaims to the world the simple message that the world despises and yet is the greatest message that we could ever hear. That by the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.